Good morning. It's good to be here. Well, Pastor introduced me as Jonathan Park. That is my name. Uh, I was just a little introduction. I was I'm made in Korea, and I was imported to U.S. when I was 10 years old. And in my young age, as many of you experience, parents and adults, they always ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know, but since 10, I've always wanted to be a pastor. I've always wanted to be a pastor, and God has blessed me where he has called me to be a pastor, and I'm just enjoying my life. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that God has given me a privilege to come here to share his word. Today's message is very, very simple. It's very basic. In fact, it reminds me of a story where there is, about, there is an elderly uh, man, uh, probably early 70s. He, he enjoyed his life. He had a wife that he loved for many, many years, and unfortunately, she passed away. And toward the latter part of his years, he knew that he couldn't live alone. So he, he had to move into a retirement home. He was depressed. He didn't have any friends there. He was worried that if he would ever make uh, friends. However, after months, he got to know people. He met a special lady there and fell in love. And he proposed to her. Next morning, he got up. He got up and it's like, wow. And then it dawned on him that he remembered proposing to her. He just couldn't remember whether she said yes or no. <laughs> it happens, I guess. There are certain things you shouldn't forget, but it was one of them. So he was very embarrassed, shocked, scared, all kinds of emotions running through him. And he said, you know what, if I go back to that site and go through the same ritual, maybe I'll remember. And if you try to go back to where you, <laughs> just to see if it triggers your memory, and nothing came. He thinks she said yes. Most likely she said yes, but he couldn't be sure. So with great embarrassment, he walked over to her side of the apartment, knocked on the door, put his head down, and said, Honey, you know I love you. <laughs> I proposed to you last night, but I just couldn't remember whether you said yes or no. I'm sorry, honey, but can you tell me one more time? And as he peeked up, he saw this big smile on her face and says, oh, thank goodness. I remember saying yes last night. I just couldn't remember who I said yes to this morning. <laughs> they lived happily ever after. <laughs> there are certain things that you just shouldn't forget. Something so basic. Something so important. Today's message, actually, is something that is very basic. Something that is very important. In fact, we live, we live in a society where it demands every single one of us to be leaders. If you go back 30-some years, perhaps even 20 years, if you go to, Bar actually, Barnes & Noble didn't exist. Whatever bookstores that you see, Amazon definitely didn't exist. There was only a handful of books on leadership. You go to a bookstore now, there are 
there, there's so many books on leadership that the whole society wants every single one of us to be leaders. In fact, if you recall, even when you're younger, you see adults, the parents, telling you, be a head, not a tail. Leaders produce leaders. There's too many followers. We all have to be leaders. Everything rises and falls on leadership. So automatically, we come to conclusion that we need, I need to be leader. However, what's interesting is that if you look at Bible, actually today's Bible, you can't really see it. But when Bible was, when, when uh, King James Version first came out, I'd like you to know that there was no English word leadership in that book, in that Bible. Never existed. 1946, Revised Standard Version only had two places in the Bible that used the word leadership. It was, it's in uh, Luke 22:26, 26, which was originally translated as chief, and Acts 3.31, which was originally translated as prince. So 1946 is the first time in the English version of the Bible that the word leadership is, uh, is mentioned. And it was 1989, that same translation, Revised Standard Version, all of a sudden used 120 times or more on leadership. The word leadership that we Americans understand, leadership does not exist, did not exist in Jesus' time. In fact, I don't know if you notice, I'm Korean. There is no literal translation of the word leadership. They used to have a word called jidoja, but then I realized it's a teacher. It gives him uh, understanding of teacher, not a leader. So in Korean, the word leadership in literal translation is leadership. <laughs> Any of you speak French? No one? In French, there is no word on leadership. In French, Fran French, uh, France, they don't, they don't like to use English. However, because they cannot find a literal translation, in French, leadership is just a romantic you know, pronunciation of leadership. That's all it is. <laughs> you know, in, in fact, if you go to many different languages, rarely do you find leadership in their native language that conveys the leadership that we understand to be. I could, I could have a whole, whole sermon on this, but I just want you to know, that leadership, we all want to be leader. We all want our kids to be leaders. People that we like, we want everybody to be leaders. In fact, we think that if this church is full of leaders, we will make difference. But may I remind you, when Jesus first spoke to Peter, it was not, be my leader, or you are a leader. In fact, the very first thing he said to Peter was, follow me. The last thing he said to Peter was, follow me. Follow me from the beginning to an end. Perhaps that's why one of our favorite hymns is, I have decided to what? 
follow Jesus. In fact, I appreciate your uh, song that you, you sang. Follow. We cannot be a leader unless we first decide to follow Jesus. We are all called to be followers of Jesus, not leaders for the people. If we truly want to be leaders for the people, people around us, we first need to be followers of Jesus Christ. So, I would like to ask you to open your Bibles to John chapter 13. The background of John chapter 13 is that now Jesus knew he was going to die next day. Passover, he brings disciples, and he have his last official or recognized group meeting. This is the last thing he will say. Without being rushed by time or being bothered by people, this is a core time where he will share his conviction of what he loves. In fact, if doctor tells you, if a doctor tells you now, as I'm telling you, that you have certain disease and that you only have 24 hours to live and you will die tomorrow about this time, what are you going to do? Well, some of you may come here and pray more, but <laughs> many of you would like to spend your time with your loved ones. You're not going to talk about playoffs. You're not going to talk about this or that. What you want to talk about is you want to gather your family. You want to reminisce about all the memories that you, you could remember. But you also want to leave something that your children, your family, your spouse will carry on for the rest of their lives. You could talk about lots of things that you value. But there's no, since you cannot cover everything, you will cover, you will cover what is the most important to you. Right? Jesus spoke about lots of things. We know, because preachers, we, we preach what? I mean, I don't know how many years in a church, and we have to preach different things. So Jesus talked about lots of topics and lots of subjects. But here he is, before he died. This is what's most important to him. So let's, let's, let's go through the scripture. In New International Version, it says, It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and, to, and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them full extent of his love. And you may say, my International Version doesn't say that. In fact, I just read um, 1984 version of New International Version. The rest of us, whether it's King James or many other versions, said, uh, will basically say that he loved them to the end. But I just prefer this. He now showed them full extent of his love. And so I was like, I wonder what that looked like. What exactly is his full extent of his love? So if you go to verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. When we think of the word leadership, when we think of somebody who is a leader, we also think of somebody who is powerful, who has authority. In fact, before I became secretary, I was a vice president for Asian Pacific Ministry. After nomination committee uh, have met and nominated my name, Somehow, my son heard that 
my, uh, I was one of the nominees for secretary. So this is like, I think a couple of days before it actually took place. Maybe it was after. He says, Dad, you became secretary? I said, yes. I was like, what did you do wrong? <laughs> he was so disappointed. I was like, what do you mean? It's like, you are vice president. What did you do? <laughs> become secretary. And I thought that was a great opportunity for me to explain that the role of pastor is to serve people. It's not the position. It's not the title. In fact, power is given to me that I may serve. Simple as that. And I have to remind him that I am there to serve my boss or pastors. Pastors are there to serve congregations. And congregations are here so that you be recharged, that you may serve people outside of these walls. In fact, if you go to, uh, this is dangerous when I go away from my sermon. <laughs> when you go to SeaWorld, when you go to Sea, you know, I asked her, what time do you usually end? And she goes, you could go as long as you want. <laughs> I, you know, me being Korean, and I was a pastor at a Korean church, 12 o'clock, you're done. <laughs> I've always wondered where Holy Spirit goes after 12 o'clock. <laughs> and then when I started preaching at black churches, I knew where Holy Spirit went. <laughs> I don't go to pulpit until 1 o'clock. That's when I realized if I ever go to black churches, I better eat a good breakfast because <laughs> lunch is not coming until like 3 o'clock. So when she said, you have all the time in the world, now I'm putting in stuff in my sermon that is not planned. But anyway, let's go back. Uh, <clears throat> if you go to SeaWorld, you see a pond somewhere there. I don't remember. I, it's been a while since I went to pond, uh, SeaWorld. You see a pond. That's where it's very interactive. Kids get to play, uh, put their hands and try to catch fish or touch starfish and all this kind of stuff. And I saw this fish gliding. I was like, whoa, a shark. Everybody took their hands out. And the guy said something that was very, very interesting. And I don't know if that person meant that particular uh, type of species of shark or all the sharks, but that shark will grow in proportion to the uh, size of a aquarium that it lives. That six, eight inches of that little shark is a full size. But if you pick up that same shark, and throw out in the Pacific Ocean, it will grow to eight feet. You know, a sermon is great when you pick up something that I didn't say. What kind of question is running through your mind now? Am I an eight-inch, cute, Seventh-day Adventist Christian? Or am I eight feet, Seventh-day Adventist Christian? If you are content to live and identify yourself between these walls, you're just a cute Seventh-day Adventist Christian. But if your Christianity, if your lifestyle, if your conviction, if your passion extends beyond these walls, oh yeah, they're dangerous. it's dangerous out there. People may reject you. People think you're a cult. 
people say, you're too aggressive, you shouldn't approach me like that, you know, you have your space, I have my space, we live in a postmodern world, we could say all kinds of things. But if our Christianity extends beyond these walls, if it extends beyond your home walls, yes, you may face rejection. Yes, you may not be sure. Yes, you may not respond correctly to questions that these other people have. But I could tell you, next thing you know, you have become eight feet shark for Jesus Christ. When that takes place, I could guarantee you, you will have another person that you have never seen before in this pew. Because they want to find out. Everybody wants to grow. Everybody wants to be a shark. And you go and you challenge them. And you let and you lead them to Christ, and they have a tr- uh, th- their lives change, they will be here. Because I went out of my script, I don't know where I am. <laughs> All right. Oh, power. There you go. Whether you're a big shark, cute Christians, we hesitate oh, in church. I don't want to use the word power. We use a veggie (laughs) word, influence. But, you know, I go to different churches. I'm doing my doctorate on conflict management in multicultural churches. Why? Because I need to be educated. I need to be equipped. So I'm doing my doctorate on that. And I go to different uh, board meetings, and I find something very interesting. In every board meeting, board members... There's always somebody who is very, very powerful. In fact, if I ask you who's the most powerful person in this room, besides Jesus, you, you have somebody. Maybe it's pastor, maybe it's first elder, maybe he or she is not in the board, but you know that that person has authority. You know, you go to the board, somebody just talks and talks and talks. And, you know, we think that just because you talk a lot, that means that Who did you just look at? (laughs) I didn't see who he looked at, all right? So, you know, loudest voice wins. Well, some people really believe that. You know, bore me. They just talk and talk and talk. And they think that's the most powerful person. However, there's always somebody who stays quiet the whole time, and he he or she just wraps it up. You know what I think? I think we should do this. And they go, oh, okay. You all know who's the most powerful person in your board or this church, or in fact, your home or your work or wherever it may be. But here is Jesus. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Oh, not just Jerusalem, not just Judea, the whole world, the universe. Jesus is the most powerful person, and Jesus knew it. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. And verse 4 and 5, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. If you're the most powerful person, we are tempted. I am tempted to say, you do what I tell you. Or, I will guide you. I will lead you. I will teach you. 
But here is Jesus. When God the Father gave him all the power in the universe to Jesus Christ, the very first thing he did was not follow me, but he says, I will wash your feet. And the very next verse, you see Peter going, whoa, Jesus, what are you doing? He was shocked by Jesus' very next behavior once he was ordained as the most powerful person. Peter was shocked. In fact, if a guest comes to this church, is he or she shocked by pastor's humility? Is that person shocked by your leader's humility? Is that person shocked by your kindness, your humility as you sit next to them or they sit next to you? Another guarantee. If a guest comes over here and sit down and somebody else sits and they're shocked by your kindness, they're shocked by your, by your service, they're shocked by your humility, I could almost guarantee you they'll be back next week. Disciples, after living three and a half years with him, were shocked again by Jesus' humility. That's one way we serve our Jesus. I love using this uh, illustration. Many times, we don't think we could be used by Jesus. Why? Because we view ourselves as this cup. And when pastor or somebody comes up to you, comes up to you and says, ma'am or sir or whoever, can you lead a Sabbath school? Can you be a teacher for Sabbath school? Right away, what we think is, you know, pastor, I want to have this much of Bible knowledge. Once I know enough about the Bible, then I will lead out in Sabbath school. Pastor, I want to have this much of money. When I work hard, when I have enough money, I will give to church. Oh, my life is so busy, I don't have enough time. But when I have enough time, I will do this or I will do that. And many times that's how we think. Or another big excuse we give or burden that we have is, oh, I cannot fill this person. I cannot fill this ministry. I cannot fill whatever it is. But may I remind you, Jesus has never given you responsibility to fill somebody up. All Jesus asked asked from you is empty yourself. Not when you're full, not whatever it is, whatever uh, capacity you have of spirit or whatever it is, just empty yourself to somebody else. Simple as that. You could be quarter full, you could be half full, you could be 75% full, whatever it is. In fact, when we come to this Sabbath, on this Sabbath, there are some of you who are just drained. You only have like 5%. You just have a little liquid in your cup. God is not not asking you to wait. All God is asking is whatever you have, little you have, just pour to somebody else. You You want to see miracles? Once we come to church and we're busy just emptying ourselves, and I wish I, I wish I could do a magic trick somehow, 
But if you if you're busy, empty yourselves, guess what? We next thing we know, our cups are full. And we exit this sanctuary, and we're now so full that we could empty ourselves to our, pe- our people, our acquaintance, our friends, people outside of the sanctuary. Seventy-year-old, well, seventy-two, I, I think her, she was early seventies. Uh, this Korean petite late uh, grandmother, who who was invited by her daughter, who lives in North Carolina, to to come and live with her and take care of grandchildren. So. She came. After months, she was she was going crazy because at Korea she was she was having Bible study with other senior citizens, and she was very active in church, and she could actually talk and understand people's languages. But when you go, of all places, it's not right here where a bunch of Asians live or Koreans live. It's in North Carolina where everybody is non-Korean. <laughs> she, she, closest Korean church is an hour away. So she started praying, God, what am I doing here? I thank you for my daughter. I thank you for giving me privilege to uh, take care of my grandchildren. But what am I doing here? What can I do for you? There's not much I could do here. So she started praying weeks out, weeks in. And, and finally, she got this idea. She called pastor, this Korean pastor. He goes, Pastor, can you give me a Bible study material that's written in English? So he probably got him something. I don't know what amazing facts or uh, whatever it may be. After she received it, Sabbath afternoon, she went to her neighbor and knocked on the door. Mrs. Smith came out and, hi, hi, Mrs. Kim. All the Koreans are either Kim's, Lee's, or Park's. And <laughs> it's like, hi, Mrs. Kim, how are you doing? It's like, hi. And this grand- Korean grandmother, remember, she's about early 70s. She doesn't speak any English other than, hello, hi, my name is whatever, you know. I was like, uh, what can I do for you, Mrs. Kim? And Mrs. Kim takes out this lesson one and said, me, me, no English, you, me, good? It's amazing how Americans understand this broken English. Oh, you want me to read this, uh, read this to you so that you can understand and, and you'll learn English? Mm-hmm. Come on in. And there's coffee table, little tea, and Mrs. Kim said across Mrs. Uh, Smith and Mrs. Okay, lesson one, creation, number one. In the, I don't know why we think that if we, if we say something very slow, <laughs> a person who doesn't speak any English will understand. But anyway, it went on and on and on for about 45 minutes, and after Mrs. Kim thanked her and left. Next step, following Sabbath, comes back, lesson two, lesson three, lesson four. It goes on and on until maybe 15, 16 lesson. And Mrs. Smith, after end of that lesson study, she goes, Mrs. Kim, I would like to go to church with you. Now, this grandmother panics. It's an hour away. Its own language spoken was only in Korean. What do I do? Called the pastor, and pastor said, about 10 minutes from your house, there's an American um, uh, Seventh-day Adventist church. Why don't you take her there? So there she was. Where somehow she arranged it, where... She sat in a sanctuary of American English uh, um, church, and she had no idea what preacher or what's going on for three hours, but she's sitting there for sake of Mrs. Smith. Let's fast for about four years. This church hosted a banquet in honor of Mrs. Kim. Why? 
In a span of four years, she led 24 people to Christ. Far as I know, to this day, she still doesn't speak English. <laughs> God, I can't speak English. I don't even understand. And many of us would have said, that's too bad. So I will just do what I do, nothing. But this grandmother, I can't speak the language. I don't understand the language. But God, what can I do for you? Here I am, send me. And it wasn't language that prevented her to experience who God is, to lead other people to Christ. What excuse do you have? What excuses do I give? All she wanted to do was follow Jesus. Not necessarily lead people, but just follow Jesus. What can I do for you, God? And we're no different. Verse 16 and 17 says, I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You all want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. And Jesus lays out very clearly that you want to be blessed? Do this. And what is that? Is to serve other people. So the role of the pastor is not necessarily just to be up here to preach, to teach, to inspire, to equip, but for him or her to wash your feet. And your role as first elders, who's been coming to this church for many, many years, your role as an elders or board members, deacons, welcome, or whatever your role is, what Jesus asks is, I want to bless you. You want to receive my blessing? Do what I did. Serve. And what's beautiful about this word service is that it's not limited to your imagination. Pray. Like this grandmother. Perhaps you are called today, you're invited, you're challenged today to go home. Get down on your knee. Says, God, what can I do for you? How can I serve you by serving other people? Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. When you are asked to serve as a leader or when people perceive you as a leader, what is cost of leadership? You lay down your pride, your position, your title, your influence. It says, Jesus, here I am. What can I do for you? And the ears of reputation that you've built, that when you say things, people will say amen and just follow you. Sometimes you even lay that down and humbly come before God and before said, what can I learn from you? What can I do for you?
April 21st, in the year of 1519, the Spanish explorer Hernando Cortez sailed into the harbor of Veracruz, Mexico. He brought with him only about 600 men, and yet over the next two years, he waged war, battle against uh, Montezuma's. Aztec, excuse me, uh, uh, Montezuma's, uh, the warriors of Aztec Empire. That was the first time that Spain sent uh, military to Mexico to conquer. In fact, there has been numerous attempts before, but every single one of them failed. However, after two years by Hernando Cortes, they conquered Mexico. With only 600 men, what was the secret behind, behind it? Is it because they're a better fighter, better warrior? No. They came in with nine, excuse me, 11 ships. And after they unloaded everything, General Cortez instructed his soldiers to burn the whole, all 11 ships. There was no turning back. So they were forced to go forward. No turning back. There, there's no turning back. If you are asked to be leaders for this church, if you have any power, any influence, any authority in this church, this is what Jesus asks you. Leave everything behind and march forward, willing to lose everything in the name of Jesus. Perhaps some of you, I know kids always like it, perhaps some of you goes, wow, there's lots of stories in his uh, sermon. Well, my son always screens my sermon on Wednesday. And if it's not good enough, he tells me to rewrite it. And if there's not enough stories, he tells me to put in more. And I said, Brandon, I, I, you know, I can't tell too many stories. And he goes, Jesus did. You know, told lots of stories. It's like, but I'm preaching to adults as well. It's like, yeah, kids like Jesus, adults like Jesus. You're supposed to preach like Jesus. So that's why I put lots of stories. But... You know, I, I, will, I will conclude with this. You and I, we worship God who will never let us go. Many times the reason why we don't want to unload our pride or un- put down our uh, authority or position or title is because we're afraid. But this God that you and I serve will never let you This, this boy wanted to cross a, a stream, so he was a little scared. So he, uh, they were hold, he was holding hand with his mom, and, and he just looked up at mom and says, Mom, can you hold my hand? And mom goes, what difference does it make whether you hold my hand or I hold your hand? And the little boy said, well, if I hold your hand, I may let go. But if you hold my hand, you will never let me go. Simple as that. We can let go of Jesus. But Jesus will never let go of your hands, regardless of what you're experiencing now. In fact, I, I do lots of, um, offi- I, I officiate many, many weddings, probably because my wedding sermons are very short. But, you know, before wedding, I, had, I do marriage counseling. And these days, young people, they, when they get married, they want to write their own vows. And I used to let them, about two, three couples, and then I changed my mind and I said, yes, you may write your, uh, your own vow. You can make it as personal as you want, but I feel that you need to include this, which many of you know. 
to be true to her or him, loyal to her in good times and bad times, in sickness and health, in adversity and prosperity, until death do us apart so long as I live. Why do I ask these couples that I, uh, I have officiated and, and will officiate in the future for them to put that words, to put that phrase? It's because I read the story of, I believe it's Harvard, don't quote me on this, Harvard University uh, Religion Department Chair, world-famous uh, author of many, many books, very influential. He found out that his wife had Alzheimer's disease. disease. So after a while, he just felt that he needed to resign and take care of his wife, which he did for about five years. And toward the end of five years, uh, board chair and, and the board of Harvard University came to him and said, Sir, You've been away from our, as our faculty for five years. You've been faithful to your wife. Your wife no longer recognizes you as her husband. We'll put her in our best facility. You may visit her at any given time. Can you please come back and be chair of our religion department? When I read up to that story, I thought, that makes sense. Wife doesn't recognize him. He's an influential man. He could go and make difference to hundreds and thousands of future leaders. Why not? The story continues where he turned around and told those board members 40 plus years ago, in front of congregation, in front of pastor, in front of my wife, and in front of God, I made a promise. Rich or poor, health or sickness, in any circumstances, that I will be faithful to her until I die. Today, she may not recognize me as her husband, but I know she's my wife. Until death do us apart, I will be faithful to her. We know something that's very similar in the Bible, and that's found in Romans chapter 8, toward the end. And it, it goes, it, verse 38, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor highest, or, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, people of God, remember, I didn't say that. It is Jesus himself. It is God who loves you, who is connected. It is this God that worships and says, no matter what is happening in your lives, nothing will separate my love toward you. I don't know your past. I don't know what you're going through. But I could guarantee you, it's a black and white statement. God will not let you go. There is enough sin in your life where he takes a step back and says, whoa, let's wait. Let's figure this out first. In fact, it is because we are so vulnerable. It is because we make so much mistakes. It is because we're sinners that Jesus just comes and just hugs you and says, do not withdraw from me. I will continue to abide with you. I will be with you. And that word with in Hebrew gives this imagery 
of left, right, front, back, top, bottom, and inside. You are fully engulfed in Jesus. So people of God, on this Sabbath, do not be discouraged. Do not look at yourself. Hebrews chapter 12, 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And it is he who makes you holy. And when you walk out of the sanctuary, walk out with confidence that you are a holy person, people. Don't look at yourself. Look at Jesus. Don't lead, but follow Jesus. Don't just speak for other people. Wash their feet. That moves people's heart. That helps that person to focus their eye on Jesus and not on you. When that happens, believe me, this church will be a holy Seventh-day Adventist church. And it is my challenge to you and to myself that on a daily basis, on any given Sabbath, we come to the sanctuary to be renewed, to be holy, and most of all, for us to just come and to serve Jesus and his people.